Welcome to Live from Size Lounge, weekly conversations with alumni of Iowa State University. At the ISU Alumni Association, we strive to facilitate the lifetime connection of cyclones everywhere, communicating, connecting, and celebrating cyclone pride. This series is made possible thanks to the more than 43,000 members of the Alumni Association. If you are interested in staying connected to the university and receiving all the benefits and services of being a member, visit isualum.org to learn more. Hey, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome into Live from Size Lounge. My name is Matt Van Winkle with the Iowa State University Alumni Association. Thanks to everyone tuning in here to our live broadcast and watching or listening to the replay of this on Facebook, YouTube, or our podcast. We are also actually streaming on our LinkedIn page. So if you're watching on LinkedIn, hello to you. This is a new thing we're trying out this week, uh, streaming over to our LinkedIn page. So if you are watching on Facebook or YouTube, head over to our LinkedIn page and, and give us a follow there as well. Last week was actually our 20th interview since we began doing these live broadcasts here on social media. And these actually began over on our Instagram page back in May. And thanks to our incredible member support, we've been able to keep this series going and grow it to what you see here today. It's a great way for us to share the amazing stories of cyclones everywhere. So be sure to let us know where you're tuning in from and also share the name of an Iowa State alum who you think would be a good person for us to interview here on Live From Size Lounge. Well, today we're going to be joined by Greg Smith. Greg is a 1991 graduate from Iowa State with a degree in occupational safety. He also received his master's in public administration here in 2010. Greg was appointed the fire chief for the city of Cedar Rapids Fire Department, where he has served since 1994. When the derecho storm passed through Iowa in August, heavily impacting Cedar Rapids and the surrounding areas, Greg was named incident commander for the city's disaster response. He leads the accredited department of 148 full-time employees operating from nine stations. Greg is also a member of the Iowa State University Alumni Association's Board of Directors, and it's my pleasure to welcome today Greg Smith. Hey, Greg, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm happy to be here. Doing really well, Greg. And we saw each other uh, a couple weeks back, but um, how are things going out in Cedar Rapids with the fire department? Uh, going pretty well overall. We're, we're still obviously uh, during these COVID challenge times, um, you know, navigating navigating that and then navigating the right. post-ratio response. Um, you know, post-ratio, the, you know, our run volume has kind of returned back to, I'll, I'll call kind of normal business um, per se, but uh, but yeah, we're just, it's going well. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, Greg, a lot, to, lot I want to get to with you, but um, let's go back to when you were a student here. Uh, obviously, I mentioned you, you graduated a little bit ago, um, but you got your degree here in occupational safety. And was your goal when you decided to study occupational safety to become a firefighter? Or what was your what was your objective when you when you chose that as your major? Um, actually, um, no, it wasn't. Uh, the short answer is no. Uh, the longer answer is I started out um, as I suspect a lot of students have in history uh, of Iowa State, start out in engineering. Um, and then uh, my sophomore year, I switched it to occupational safety. And I was really just looking for something that piqued my interest. And, and uh, it was interesting. Uh, I kind of had an interest in, in hazardous materials response, you know, the fire response and that type of stuff. Um, and so I, I switched to occupational safety 
but my dad was actually a volunteer firefighter um, growing up in a small town in, in north central Iowa. And I, I figured I would probably graduate from college and I would work somewhere and I'd live in a smaller community or a suburban community and join a volunteer fire department, kind of do what he had done. And uh, as I went through and went along, I graduated, uh, as you mentioned, in 1991 with a degree in occupational safety, worked for a company of by that time uh, called National Byproducts. They've since uh, been sold several, I think at least once, um, and worked as a safety director for that company and worked for it as an industrial hygienist on asbestos abatement projects. Um, and that was about three, three years, four years or so before I got hired onto the fire department. And I actually got my interest in a career firefighter um, in the in the years after I graduated from Iowa State and I joined the Ankeny uh, Volunteer Fire Department when I worked in the Des Moines area and then just started talking to people who are career firefighters and decided that was something that I wanted to apply for and see where it took me and it brought me to Cedar Rapids. Well, you've been with the Cedar Rapids Fire Department for nearly 30 years and it's a when people hear about Cedar Rapids, you know, it's a city that's really had its seen its fair share of some pretty serious natural disasters. And in that time, you know, some devastating floods in 2008, uh, 2016, most recently. So what were some of those experiences like for you um, as the on-scene on incident commander and really involved with, um, with that response? Uh, yeah, so I'd start off with, you mentioned the 2008 floods and my career with the fire department has, you know, I've, I've come up through the ranks. I started as a firefighter in 1994, um, you know, promoted to captain in 1999, which meant I led a, a crew of, of uh, two to three people on either a ladder truck, an engine, or, um, or a rescue truck. And I was a captain for about 10 years, then promoted to battalion chief uh, and, and worked on shift as a shift commander for a couple of years, and then assistant chief, and then now chief for the last year and a half or so. And the 2008 floods was very, very, uh, interesting it's it's uh it was a once in a career event and ironically now i've had probably four once in a career events <laughs> since then so I, I guess i can't call them once in a career anymore but i was the on-scene uh commander for the boat rescues during the 2008 floods during the height of the flooding so um so i served uh that shift i was scheduled to be on shift um the that thursday um where the flood did or the waters did crest and I was on the corner of, or I was on the intersection of First Avenue and the Cedar River, which um, the Cedar River at that point was out of its banks and ended up to be on about 10th Street on the west side of the west side of the river. And I, I oversaw the boat rescues. And I think at one point during the height of it, we had 16 or 17 rescue boats on the river. And um, we oversaw during that time period about um, 423 boat rescues was the estimated number of rescues that we did during that time period. And I was probably the on-scene commander for right around 300 of them, I would speculate. Um, it was uh, it was obviously very chaotic um, and whatnot. Uh, we were very fortunate that we got through the floods of 2008 with no loss of life in the city of Cedar Rapids uh, and, and some minor injuries to either civilians or um, fire department or other response personnel. So really just a, just an intense uh, 
25 or 26 hour time period where I was on the on the streets at that time and you know kind of working the 24 or 48 hours on 24 off for a time period there for a while um, with the with the boat rescues and then kind of the time period after where we kept our uh, kept our numbers up um, for a response throughout the city. How do you as a firefighter prepare for a flood or you know a rescue mission like that where you're going in on boats and pulling people out of homes like how do you how do you prepare or train for something like that well we really are an all hazards department as a, as many fire departments are these days obviously you know we're we're called a fire department but we do medical response we do confined space trench rescue high and low angle rope rescue and water rescue with the cedar river coming through the through the city and a couple of other uh streams and creeks that come through that flood every once in a while and so we do have a contingent of boats and and it's a combination of things you know we we one have uh swift water trained people uh and so swift water is more that flash flooding type of thing uh the the cedar river overflowing was something that you know was obviously unheard of by that point and so you know Know, 32 and a half feet I think or 32 and a quarter feet was the was the crest um, and uh, the prior to that I think 20 feet was had been the maximum that the Cedar River had ever reached in the at least in recorded history and so it's just maintaining diligence with training with the crews uh, incident command system and how we operate from an incident commander incident manager on through the rescue situation and we do have a low head dam in the city that we've done some training in and around i shouldn't say in but around the low head dam uh, for rescue of, of of people um but we really didn't foresee the level and the devastation of flooding that we had and so it was really just um it was really just people going into that response mode and so we're trained to you know really take a situation where you can really only have maybe 20 to 30 percent of the information you need to make an educated decision or a, a response decision and make that decision and, and go through with that so we had people navigating streets on boats where the street signs were covered and it was just by just by familiarity with the area and then finding the right house and bringing the people out of the house well, as I mentioned earlier, you were also the incident commander for the city's uh, disaster response for that derecho storm that impacted so many people in Iowa, but most seriously in Cedar Rapids and that area that you're in, the surrounding communities. Walk us through what these past few months have been like, not only for you as a first responder, but for the people in, living in that area as well. Sure. Uh, so, you know, August 10th started out like uh, like most summer days, you know, it was your typical August day. And I knew that we were going to be getting some storms, uh, potentially severe storms around noon that day. And interestingly enough, my um, my both my daughters attend Iowa State currently, and I had texted or called my oldest daughter just on something completely unrelated. And she called me back a short time later and discussed about how bad the storm was moving through Ames and we need to be prepared because I knew it was heading this way. So I knew it was going to be a pretty severe storm. Obviously, I didn't know the level of devastation. And so the first part, you know, when the storm hit, uh, it was, you know, evident that it was a severe and nasty thunderstorm. And then, you know, after your after your first, you know, 15, 30 seconds, 90 seconds, whatever, when the wind's not 
dying down like it typically does after a strong front moves through and becomes a typical thunderstorm, you know, quickly realize the level of devastation. So our crews actually, um, from the moment the, the storm hit the edge of the city, uh, we had every crew out responding during the 40 to 45 minutes that we had the high level sustained winds. You know, our police department was out uh, in the same, in the same kind of same frame doing some, doing what they needed to do for welfare welfare checks and you could see on those videos the level of the tree damage and really it was uh we had crews trying to figure out how to get to different places and our public works department quickly put in a plan that they started uh they got the snow plows actually on their rigs and started doing um enacted their snowplow response quite honestly or snowstorm response so that they could clear the roadways for emergency response and then start to do debris management but we immediately called back people because of the level of devastation and the number of calls that we were getting and immediately called crews back and and we heard from a number of people uh of our firefighters that said I, i'll be there as soon as i can i can't get out of my driveway i can't get down the street you know whatever and and so we knew how devastating that was um just from just from hearing that it wasn't an isolated part of town it was it was the entire 70 73 75 square miles of the city and surrounding area that was devastated and we didn't clear the calls from the storm until somewhere around 12 30 that morning just just from the sheer number that we had of either rescues fires lines down gas leaks that type of stuff and so our assistant chief went to our dispatch center and prioritized our responses to obviously the higher level of life safety um, and then reduced the number of apparatus to each response unless we either had a working fire or a situation that warranted more than one apparatus so so it was uh, just an interesting time period during the storm that storm was so interesting because, I mean, it, it did move through the Midwest when you think about the crop damage, how much damage it did in, in terms of, you know, acre, you know, how much crop was damaged mm -hmm. through a widespread area. I mean, you would typically when you see like a tornado, it's a small stretch. But also when you think about these residential areas, the some of these older cities, when you think about like De Des Moines, some of these really uh, closer to downtown, and I think of Cedar Rapids, some of these big trees in the city. Mm -hmm. So that must have been the biggest issue was all that tree debris and you see some of these images now of like uh when they did that uh, limb removal and there's just mounds and piles of, mm -hmm. of debris that's piled up i think one of the coolest things though that i saw was just how people came together and helped each other out in that storm and as a first responder i'm sure that's something that you were uh, quite aware of and saw firsthand as well right Absolutely. And, and uh, to first speak to your first point is just, you know, the number of 100, 150 year old trees and obviously the size of those. And, right. you know, we were without power for, I know, particularly my house has a power for eight and a half days. Um, and so, you know, that was just hit and miss throughout the city. Most, much of the 90, I think it was 97% of Lynn County was without power post storm. And, you know, it was several days to a couple of weeks before power was back, before internet service was back and all that type of stuff. And, and a lot of that was those trees coming down with entangled in the power lines, which, which, um, you know, which hampered some of the response just because of having power lines wrapped in there and couldn't clear a street or something to that effect. But, but yeah, to your point of um, people helping people, that's, you know, that's the Midwest. Um, it's, uh, 
it's just so heartwarming and whether it was the 2008 floods whether it was the two, 2016 floods um you know whether it was you know the covid response of people needing mental health counseling and reaching out to neighbor neighbors and loved ones to the derecho we just have a great midwestern and iowa um, work ethic and care for our neighbors and and uh, the one thing that i heard from a number of people was that as soon as the storm passed and and you know the sun came back out all you could hear was chainsaws running and people were you know got out to their garages or their sheds got their chainsaw they were clearing their debris they were reaching out to their neighbors and clearing debris and just just neighbors helping neighbors, um, people doing welfare checks on each other. And then, you know, they would call us obviously if they needed a, a specific welfare check or whatnot. But we had, you know, we had reports of people, you know, going to their, you know, maybe an elderly couple next door and just making sure that they had what they needed and and the generators running and sharing of, of power and stuff like that. So just just a great response of people like you said people helping people and which made our jobs obviously infinitely easier even though it was a difficult time period and our run volume we set a record on that august 10th and we didn't come back down to normal for about three or so weeks um with that and and uh so we had we obviously had a lot of runs helping a lot of people but really it was the it was the neighbors helping neighbors it was the you know the churches and other not-for-profit groups that just started you know i'll say kind of organically just saying hey people need to be fed we're going to start serving meals you know the um the grocery stores in town started serving meals and just kind of that um kind of that void where they somebody needed something quickly got that spun up before the uh the the maybe national not-for-profits or the bigger not-for-profits could get in and get established with that how how much of a challenge was it when you know like the phone lines were down and the internet was down and throughout widespread widespread parts of the community and people weren't able to get a hold of 911 how difficult was that for you guys to not only to communicate with each other but to be able to hear to get feedback and hearing where there's issues in the community from from people living there it, it was yeah i mean two things is one fortunately i would say it was about seven or eight years ago we put in lynn county put in um a new communications public safety communication system and that worked flawlessly we had our radio communications that um, were never compromised during the storm nor the response after the storm but uh, with power being out, with the cell phone towers having some battery backup, and then and then once that depleted, and then the internet service being intermittent, you know, we were on generators here at our fire stations and whatnot. But you know, we had limited internet access on the cell phones. If you were lucky enough to get a call out, uh, maybe you can talk to somebody for a few a few seconds. I had a lot of times where I could get a call out and then all of a sudden the call got dropped. And so it was very much a challenge. And I know I spent that first couple of days, sometimes I would try to call our emergency management coordinator with the, with the uh, county here and it'd be just like, forget it, I'm driving out to their, their building because I can't get a hold of them. And I, you know, if I do, I can't talk long enough to really work through that situation but we do have an instant command post here at our central fire station and so all of the directors with the city um, we had council members and our city manager in and out through that and so it really we it was difficult because in times of covid we were still trying to be responsible um, with that and make sure that we wore our face masks um, make sure that we social distance when we could but you know we kind of had to walk that fine line of 
response to the ratio and maintaining uh, good COVID protocols. But the instant command post that we have here was invaluable to because we just needed face-to-face -face communication um, because it was hard to do that through the through the phone lines. But we quickly um, started putting out written messages, and then we would give that to our firefighters, to our police officers, to the grocery stores and mm -hmm. gas stations that were able to open up, and we would just have um, uh, you know reams of printed flyers of here's where the here's where you, you can go for food, here's where you go for sheltering, here's the latest news that we have, and we would try to we would put those out every day. But it was really going back to um, you know pre-internet, pre-cell phone type of communications with the public. Interesting. That's really interesting perspective. Thanks for, for sharing that with us, Greg. And you're also, you're also a member of our board of directors here at the Iowa State University Alumni Association. Tell us about why you decided to, to kind of serve uh, the university in this way. Um, well, I'll kind of go back to, you know, starting out in the fire service and stuff like that. And, and you know, I, I served Ankeny Fire Department for about a year and a half as a volunteer before I got hired on in Cedar Rapids. Um, you know, I worked part time for Kirkwood Community College and, you know, doing hazmat response or hazmat uh, chemical spill response classes, confined space classes. I served on Marion Fire Department for, I believe it was about seven years. I served on the state of Iowa incident management team for about 10 years. And uh, you're wondering, okay, yeah, I didn't ask you those questions, but that really is what led me to kind of Iowa State and the board of directors was, I was really looking for, you know, I had spent probably 15 to 20 years post-college of just fire service response related um, activities, either as a career or in my volunteer time. Um, you know, I did, you know, I did do some coaching with my kids, you know, for about 12 or 13 years between softball and basketball and all those types of sports as kids grew up and stuff like that. But I was really itching to do something outside of the emergency response arena. And my love for Iowa State, you know, I, I've followed, um, you know, Iowa State athletics since I since I graduated and, and very passionate uh, athletics fan. But I, I really was like, how can I what else can I do besides the emergency response stuff? I, I want to wanted to be more well-rounded. And I really just kind of kept coming back to um, how can I how can I help serve Iowa State? Uh, and so I applied for the board of directors. And I think it was um, year two after I applied that I got uh, got selected. And it was really just um, again to be involved, um, you know, giving back to the university that I love so much, and and being closer to that. And one of the fantastic things that has happened to me, I feel a little bit guilty. Is sometimes I feel like the growth that I have received from um, you know, the friends um, and fellow board members and some of the things that I learned through there, I'm almost learning more than sometimes I think I'm giving back to the board of directors. And it's a really, really neat process. And I think it's mutually beneficial. You know, I, I, I wanted to serve um, the Alumni Association and, and use this board of directors is really to serve um, Iowa State University and be uh, help be a, a voice and a champion for that. And, you know, it's it's kind of one of those things, you know, when you when you give, sometimes you receive back tenfold and I really have. And so but that's what got me interested in it is just wanting to do something outside that arena. And again, my love for the university and just really wanting to promote um, promote Iowa State and, and help it be the best that it can be. Well, you and your wife, Kim, are also life members of the Alumni Association. And you mentioned earlier that your daughters are both students here at Iowa State. And we appreciate you keeping that cyclone spirit alive all the way out in Cedar Rapids and Hawkeye country. So, <laughs> but, but, but Craig, what is it about um, being a member that you enjoy living out in that Cedar Rapids area? 
uh, the, the best thing that I can just say about it, I mean, in part of it is whether you're an alumni association member or not is, you know, the whole cyclone's everywhere. It's amazing how relatable you you are. And when you see somebody wearing cyclone gear or you see Iowa State license plates, it's just, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's it's like a kindred spirit. It's like, oh, they're one, you know, that person's one of us. It's we're, we're we come from the same family, the same group. And it's just, uh, it's a university that just, it's very personable and I can remember, you know, whether it's going to a bowl game, whether it's going to a basketball game, whether it's going out to eat. And I, you know, I've had, I've wear my Iowa state gear loud and proud. Um, and I've been in New York city and, um, heard from, you know, down the street, go cyclones or been on the subways and hear go cyclones or, you know, walking through an airport, um, you know, go cyclones. And so it's just that, it's just that family atmosphere and, um, and, and really, it's just also what does what does Iowa State represent? And there's so many positive things um, that the university represents and has represented from its beginning. And just very proud to have you know graduated from there. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate that my spouse is from there, so I don't have to have that divided household or or anything like that. You talk about Hawkeye country. Um, you know, I, I, I joked that in 1994 that I was dropped behind enemy lines here in eastern Iowa to infiltrate and uh, <laughs> bring, bring the cyclones to eastern Iowa. But, you know, Lynn County with, you know, with, with Collins and with a lot of other ag um, industry here in Cedar Rapids, there are a lot of Iowa State alumni and uh, it's, it's uh, really become apparent and I just really enjoy that and I'm proud to have, you know, have uh, a daughter that will be graduating here in May and another one that's uh, that's in the middle of her career and and uh, just enjoy the university and what it's given given us for our life and and uh, just just real proud to be an alumni. Well, Iowa State graduates living in the state of Iowa have surpassed the team out east as they call it, right? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Is that what we say? Yeah. Uh, well, well, Greg, Iowa State University graduates are using their degrees to make their communities, Iowa and the world, a better place. How do you feel you've been able to use your education um, from Iowa State to make an impact in the work that you do? Well, I, I think it, it's kind of twofold. One would be my undergrad, you know, in occupational safety. I, um, you know, with the fire department, the, my occupational safety degree gave me an understanding you know, either through some of the management classes um, that was part of that degree or the technical understanding and knowledge, you know, going through the chemistry classes and or, you know, the safety classes and that type of stuff and just a better understanding of of the that aspect of it and be able being able to fold that into my experience and my training and knowledge as a firefighter um, kind of gave me an advantage and I and I could put focus on that and better understanding to do, deliver better service. Likewise, you know, I mentioned my teaching at Kirkwood Community College and, and taught a lot of a lot of industry. Um, it was the non-credit side, um, a lot of industry on chemical spill response. So I could draw on, you know, again, the, the chemistry, I could draw on um, the safety, um, my safety knowledge from my, my undergrad degree. And then when I got my public administration degree, just the, just being able to to, to translate that into a better understanding of, you know, how government works. I mean, obviously I'm in municipal government, but you know, whether it's state and I work with the state of Iowa with a urban search and rescue grant that we receive in that program, which comes from a federal grant. So just the understanding of, um, you know, the history of public administration, 
current public administration, how you know maybe public administration research works, and bringing that knowledge into my role as you know through my battalion chief, assistant chief, and now fire chief ranks, and just being able to interact with uh, other um, city directors, other levels of government, and bring that knowledge to to make you know Cedar Rapids Fire Department a better place and improve our service delivery ultimately to the citizens of Cedar Rapids. Excellent. Well, Greg, thank you so much for joining us live from Size Lounge today. It was really uh, fascinating to hear your perspective uh, working in Cedar Rapids for the fire department for these almost 30 years. And again, thanks for your service here as a board member for the Alumni Association as well. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed the conversation and uh, go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. And thank you for watching. We'll see you again next time here live from Size Lounge. Please stay safe and have a great rest of your day. Go Cyclones.